Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan and welcome to the Caring CEO podcast brought to you by WeCare365. We created this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and we hope there will be lots of insights for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. Today, we welcome Stephen Moyer, founder and CEO of The Moyer Group, a recruitment organization specializing in senior leaders in finance. Having collaborated with Stephen and his team, I've observed his unique approach, seeing the role of finance as different to many others. He emphasizes that whilst technical finance skills are a given, what differentiates a great finance person is the ability to exert influence across the company. Stephen believes that work significantly shapes our lives and a satisfying job is essential for a good life. Passionate about the environment, he and his wife Carolyn founded the Professionals Advocating for Climate Action, a network of 370 people dedicated to practical actions. In a recent webinar presented to Moyers clients and candidates, we discovered that only 10% of finance professionals measure the cost of poor mental health in dollars. We delve into Stephen's insights on this and whether he anticipates change. Committed to giving back, Stephen also actively volunteers for a range of charities. There's a lot to learn from Stephen, enjoy. It's a real pleasure to welcome Stephen Moyer to The Caring CEO. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks, Graham. What does care in the workplace mean to you? Well, firstly, it's great to be here. I've known you a long time. Um, I think, you know, for me, um, caring in the workplace really comes back to a a few simple things, really. One is uh, trying to treat people the way that I would expect to be treated myself. And, you know, I think as you go through your career, and that's obviously the space I'm in, is, is careers and jobs. You know, I've had experiences myself of working for people, and I've um, also see that in terms of the candidates I interview and, and why they're looking for a move. So I think that that's firstly, so treating people well and, and how I would like to be treated. I think also then trying to treat people fairly, um, treating people with honesty and being very, you know, what you say is, is really what you mean and, and everything. So just being very transparent. And I think being very clear in terms of your expectations as well. Um, and I think then trying to treat each employee that, that we have in our business um, as a person and trying to understand what motivates them, what they, what is important to them, what stage of life they're in, and have empathy and care around that as well. But I think that's, and I know we may talk about this a bit more, I think that's very compatible with setting a high benchmark in terms of expectations and performance as well. Yeah. I um, once had a, a boss called Jack Omani, and he would manage by what he called the golden rule, which is just what you described, you know, treating people like you'd like to be treated. Mm. And it always stuck with me, and, and he was a very, very successful leader. He ended up becoming the CEO of Cochlear in Australia and um, had other roles overseas as well. But, uh, you know, I think often simplicity works, doesn't it, when we think about a fast-moving office environment. I think it's actually, you know, that idea of simplicity and trying to keep things clear and and simple becomes more and more important as I've got older. And I think by doing that, 
you make good decisions, you make consistent decisions, and it helps you as a person as well, I, I find. Yeah. yeah. You were the uh, local managing director for the Michael Page Group, which sort of specialised a lot in the finance sector. And then 16 plus years ago, you started the Moy Group. What did you hope for that group when you started it? To be perfectly honest, just to get through the first year. And um, <laughs> it's like, I look back on that, it's, it's, it's 16 and a half years now. So yes, it was in the same space that um, I've always been in. So in, in terms of um, sort of recruitment, supporting people with their careers, I think, you know, Michael Page, I work with them uh, in the number of countries around the world. Um, and th that, that organization helped people in lots of disciplines. So it wasn't just finance. It was all those kind of, um, I suppose, you know, HR, marketing, legal, IT. So I sat across all of those. My own business, I decided to uh, be specialized in one area, which is finance, so CFOs and controllers and things. Mm. Um, but to be honest with you, you know, I suppose my last three or four years at Michael Page, I was more managing the business as opposed to hands-on recruiting. Yeah. Um, and then starting my own business, I, I, I wanted something where uh, I could have some control. So at that stage, my children were very young. Um, uh, two were born. One, one actually hadn't been born by that stage. The other two were like, I don't know two or four or something. And I wanted to have some more control over my time, what I was doing. And I thought by starting my own business, that was a good way to do it. Um, but I basically did it, uh, you know, I started just by myself um, and then built things from there. And I, I really didn't think much. I just thought I'll give this a go. Um, and if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to being an employee somewhere else. Um, and Let's just see how we go. And I just jumped in. It was that simple. <laughs> yes. And, you know, you've obviously evolved over time. How has recruiting, for example, a, a, a CFO, a chief financial officer, changed from when you first started to what companies are looking for now in that role? I think, um, well, I think the first thing is that I, I'm as passionate now about what we do as a business, as I was 16 and a half years ago, as, as I have, was when I was 22, when I started in recruitment. So I, I love the idea of supporting people through their careers. Um, and uh, at our, at Moya Group, we, our purpose is satisfying job fulfilling life. And what that means is we recognize that a job is a fundamental thing in life um, and that we play an important part in terms of supporting people in their career. So we partner pe with people throughout their career. And I, I take a lot of pride in that. And if you then look at the CFO, um, that role, when I was you know, doing this years ago, uh, a lot of people, when they was interviewing them, they, they were looking for a move. What they talked about was they wanted a seat at the table, you know, mm. not in the back room sort of thing. Mm. So if I look at the CFOs nowadays, I know I never get that question. You know, the CFO is right there uh, with the CEO. They're often the right-hand person. A lot of CFOs become CEOs. Um, so a lot of them have broad responsibility, you know, for other functions like IT, procurement, sometimes HR. Um, so they're more like a COO. So the breadth of the role, um, a lot of them now have sustainability in ESG coming through to them. Uh, so the breadth of the roles changed significantly and therefore the expectations on those roles have changed a lot, particularly around the softer skills in terms of how they lead people, motivate people, care for people, all those things. And then I know you've been very passionate and you just mentioned it about how important good work is to a good life. And um, you're kind enough to gift me a book called Ikigai, <laughs> and uh, it's it's a very intriguing uh, Jap Japanese concept. Would you mind just giving our listeners an overview of that and why it resonates with you? So Ikigai is really around 
finding your purpose. What is your um, um, what what drives you and motivates you? And it talks about um, uh, people in this area of Japan, um, Okinawa, I think it is, where they live a very long and full life. And it sort of talks about what do they do to enable them to to live that full life. And basically, they're all very they're very engaged in life, and they they all continue really to work. So it may be different to what they did when they were younger, but they go out and they work. They, they all have like vegetable gardens and stuff like this, but they, they're very involved um, with activity and doing things. They're very involved in community things. So again, if you think about the role of work and connections and people, it's central to those communities that have good, long, full lives. And there's other things as well, but, but you know, that's central to it. Yeah, and I know that the Okinawans um, are in the blue, you know, blue zone. In that That's right. They lead very, very long lives, and it is they they do it healthfully. There is a great sense of community, mm. but they also don't really retire. That's they, right. Yeah, they, they stay active, and that's mm. an interesting concept, isn't it? Because I know many people, and I know people who have retired, and it's been incredibly difficult for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they haven't they haven't planned that transition well. Yep. And what do you think is the the key to staying engaged beyond the traditional retirement age of say sixty five? Yeah, well, I think about this quite a bit um, because I actually think, um, and there's a couple of things, and it's quite an interesting time on this one because I think um, there are a lot of people actually in their sort of mid to late fifties that are um, are retiring or looking at retiring. And sometimes that's forced on people, and I think that can be very confronting. Um, somebody, you know, you lose your job through no fault of your own. There's a global restructure of the business you work in, or whatever it might be. Um, or you know, if you're in some professional services firms, you have to retire at a particular age. Um, but I think there's also this other group of people who, and I think it's a post-COVID thing, who have been in very senior roles and they've just decided, um, basically, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's around the expectations. I think that some of those. Corporates are putting on them um, uh, the pressures, the, the work expectations, the productivity, and, and I've seen a number of people fall into this category who have just taken. You know, they're just going to have a year off, go and do different things. People come back then after those, particularly if you take a chunk of time like twelve months off, uh, and, and do things completely differently. They might go and do a completely different type of role. Uh, they may go and work for say a not-for-profit, so take a substantial cut in salary. They may go and have a a mix of things. So you might do a bit of that. You might sit on a few boards. You might um, help out, you know, um, pro bono and stuff. But I think um, my advice to people always, you know, is to stay engaged. It doesn't have to look the same as it was when you were 30 or your 40s. But I think, and I'm, this is personally what I'm going to do, is um, have a number of different things that motivate you, that interest you, and that keep you engaged with different communities, keep you curious. Um, because if you do all of that, um, you're going to enjoy it, and and you'll, you've got a lot to offer back. A lot of people sometimes don't realise what they have to offer back as well. You know, I've been I've been a CFO for the last forty years. What do I really, you know, and and without really understanding that they have fabulous skills to offer back in all types of environments, and uh, really to um, embrace that and, um, and use them, because it does involve you know staying connected with with life and yep. people yeah and uh it makes me think about some gallant research which found that they interviewed um 
90-year-old men, and they found out the average age they retired was 85. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's sort of- How fantastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and there's actual actuarial research that shows that the earlier you retire, the earlier you die. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, so there is reason, you know, to, to, to pursue- Making a contribution, even if it's uh, you know not for profit or something else you care really much about, there is yeah. great evidence that you're going to stay healthier by doing that. And I think it's also changing. I think for a lot of executives, the um, the route was always into sort of sitting on a bunch of boards and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think um, again, for many now, that that is not necessarily the path that they will choose going forward. I think some will, but I think for for many, that's not very fulfilling. And I think there's lots of other opportunities opening up um, in all kinds of things that um, uh, I would encourage people just to have a go at. You know, if you've got a particular passion, um, you know, I know we might talk about this, but I'm very passionate about the environment, for example. So there's a whole bunch, there's a whole community there that's really interesting. So I think it's following those passions you've got, jumping in, and then you find a way and and suddenly you're you're quite involved and it opens up a other circle of friends you you realise that your skills are very transferable, and um, yeah, it's it's fun too. It's a great case study of you know you establishing that um, professionals group, really wanting to be active on climate change. Why did you do that, and what have you learned along that journey? Uh, so we, this is my wife and I. Uh, we we Carolyn and I started this just after the. Um, the fires almost four years ago, almost exactly four years ago, actually, in uh, the end of 2020 or end of 19, it was at the beginning of 2020. And really, we, we just felt that we had to do something. I mean, um, we, it's very interesting, actually, we were overseas at the time. We were in Seattle visiting my brother who was living there. And it was in just in early January 2020. And all the news in America was dominated by the fires in, in Australia. And we were watching this place called Browlee, where we used to go on holiday every year for many, many years on the South Coast. And Browlee was on the news in a, on CNN or something in America and uh, had terrible um, impact. And we just thought we would just have to do something. So we s- decided to set up this group. Um, and we thought we didn't really, we're not really people that want to go and sort of hug trees and all that kind of stuff, but we wanted to do something that, um, uh, and, and we couldn't find a group that was really sort of, you know, was like the sort of thing we would like to do. So we decided to set one up ourselves and we basically just invited a few friends around to our front room. This is in, I think, February 2020. And then COVID came along, so we couldn't do that anymore. So we went online like this and uh, and then it just um, exploded because basically uh, we were able to access a lot more people. Um, we've now got, um, four years later, almost 500 people in our group um, all around Australia, people in New Zealand, um, uh, and also now in Europe, particularly the UK, um, and they're all, it's called Professionals um, for Climate. And there's a mix of people, but basically it's its twofold. One is to use our community to influence change. So quite a lot of people sit on boards or senior executives or just there's quite a few doctors, there's professors, everything. Um, and so giving them the, the knowledge and the skills to be able to influence their communities and then secondly is around practical things. So many of our group have done, you know, the solar, the composting. The one we did last month was um, on fast fashion versus sustainable fashion. Um, so all those practical things you can do as well. It was really nice to do it 
is caroling. So that's been a nice thing. We do it together and have fun. Um, and secondly, um, we, we've sort of been able to influence quite a big community and um, we've learned a lot along the way and we've got all these new friends as well. So that's <laughs> nice. It's, you know. it's, it, it is, um, you know, brilliant to have built it up to 500 people and I guess get everyone access to things that are practical that we can do in our everyday lives. What do you feel particularly proud of after having building that group up to 500? I think that, you know, that, that, that from the practical level that there's all these people, um, I don't know how many now, but that have, that have actually made changes in their daily life that uh, has had a positive impact on the environment. So those, those practical things. Um, I know that through various members of our group, we, they've influenced change in their organizations in terms of, um, you know, what that company's doing and their commitments to uh, net zero and things. So there's been definite changes there. Um, so they're probably the key areas. I think there's some very specific things I've been involved in politically as well, which I'm really pleased about in terms of changing some of the decision-making that's happened in this country. So that's been a very good thing, um, I think. So, yeah, I'll mix of those things, really. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to, um, you know, grow something, grow the impact, you know, share insights, share knowledge. And, and I also see that, um, you know, you've just, you've created a ESG uh, division and you recruit people in the sustainability side of things. So I guess that's also then tunneled into your professional life as well. Yeah, that's it. That's right. So it's an area I'm passionate about. So we started up that division beginning of this year. We've got a very experienced person heading that up. And um, so it's a passion of mine, but I've also realized that it's, and it's very early days. Um, you know, the big ASX companies are across this, but most other organizations are either not sure what to do or they've got their head in the sand, really. But it, you know, especially around the reporting, it's not going to go away. So it's all, it's like it's coming down the, down the, down the line at them. And so we're supporting a lot of organizations in terms of what to do. So recruiting people for them, like heads of sustainability and things, but also giving them the um, the support in terms of what they need to be thinking about. And it's very closely aligned to our finance business because a lot of it is around this reporting. Let's take you back again to February 2020, but this time just thinking purely of your business and um, just thinking, you know, when you first thought that, COVID was going to have a significant impact on your business. So what was that six months like for you when the tap was basically switched off? What were some of the tough decisions you had to make and how did you manage to keep your head up, you know, when it was very, very difficult and it was difficult to see the end of the tunnel? Just if you would mind talking us through that that period of time and, um, yeah, what you learned. Well, I learned a lot. Um, I think a couple of things. I mean, firstly, I started my business in mid-2007, and then six months later, the GFC happened. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I have been through various economic you know, cycles and recessions before. So I think the first thing I realized was uh, to back myself that I, I'd been through this before. And yes, this was different and unknown, but I knew... Um, and you know, in, in a reasonably humble way, I knew that I personally and our business would get through it. Um, so I was confident of that. Uh, I suppose I, I set out to be very clear in my communication with our team in terms of um, what our approach was. Uh, what you know, I was very clear around what we were facing, what it meant, 
And then I try to sort of bring everybody with me on that through through regular and constant, clear communication. Um, And as part of that, you know, we we had to let some people go, unfortunately. Um, But again, I tried to do that in a way that was as caring and as supportive as I possibly could, but I I couldn't avoid that. Yeah, yeah. Looking back at it now, it's kind of hard to believe. It's a bit like a bad dream. (laughs) It is. I know. Uh, um, Funnily enough, my 90-year-old mother uh, just got COVID for the first time yesterday. You know, really? Wow. Yeah, first time. So, wow. is she okay? Uh, yeah, she's pretty wee, but you know, she's had all the inoculate vaccines yeah. yeah. and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Fingers crossed. Yeah. It's still very it. disruptive, you know. And it's, it's uh, you know, talking about that period. I, I went. My mother lives overseas, and I, I went to see her as early as I could. Um, and just the process of getting on an aeroplane, I remember this, I think it was in 2021, yeah. uh, I think it was, um, just incredible. Um, mm. And you look, and there was just nobody, nobody at the airports, nobody around. Yeah. <laughs> it is a bit like an old movie or something. <laughs> <It is>. <laughs> Hopefully the worst is behind us. But one thing that, um, you know, we've also been on a shared journey with your clients is that, you know, the volatility, the stress, the burnout – isn't decreasing. Right. It's not decreasing. And um, what do you think that your clients can do better to build that sort of group resilience, build that sense of purpose? Well, I actually think it's increasing, and you're probably closer to this than I am. Um, I think the sense of, um, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of the relentless push that corporates have around productivity and Doing more with less um, is, is, yeah, it's relentless. And I think for, for a lot of very capable people, again, I think these big shocks like COVID make good people, anybody really, reassess, mm. you know. But if you're good, you know you can back yourself. And I think you, well, anybody, you've got to back yourself, right? If, if I'm being asked unrealistic things, then there will be an employer somewhere out there that will um, uh, will not be like that, will, will you know, um, will treat me uh, with, a, with a higher level of care and support. So um, I think, you know, for, for employers, they've, they've got to, um, you, you've got to think differently. I think there's a bunch of companies that have just gone back into the same mode that they were in um, pre-COVID um, without realizing that, that things have changed. I think, you know, when we're working with, with organizations, there's still some organizations that are insisting on having people back in the office five days a week. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that's, that may suit the CEO or the CFO or what have you, but I can tell that does not suit the majority of their employees because um, most people do not want that. And um, I think they just need to be, um, they need to be more flexible. I think they need to, um, you know, maybe look at things differently. I, I don't think, you know, it's been a crash hot year for a, for a lot of big Australian corporates this year. I, I just, there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, issues out there, and I just think, I, I think there's a chunk of them that personally are poorly led. You know, I, I talk a lot when I'm talking to candidates about joining an organisation that has inspiring leadership. It's one of the key things you should look for. That and a culture that you're very aligned with. And probably eighty or ninety percent of people I meet that are looking for a move, it's because they don't get on with their boss or they're not aligned to the culture. So finding an environment that really suits you and that has got excellent leadership. It determines everything. Even if the role's different, if you're in an environment like this, you're going to flourish, and I guarantee in 12 months' time, your role will 
be broader if, or, or different to if, if that's what you want. So um, that's a, such a key thing. And I, I think there's a chunk of companies that are poorly led and they're the ones that are um, you read about in the Fin Review, actually. Thanks for being part of the Care First movement. You may be interested in some free resources that we've prepared at wecare365.com.au. First resource is a building a mentally healthy culture checklist, which contains all the elements that you'll need to prepare and launch a mentally healthy workplace program and how to build momentum for up to a year after that launch. The second resource is how to support a teammate or a loved one in distress poster. This provides guidance about how to identify someone who is struggling, how to have the are you okay conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help they need. These resources can be found at wecare365.com.au. One thing that I guess must be really worrying for everyone, because people are working harder, there's uh, you know, people leaving, they're having not always being replaced. There's those sorts of issues going on. There's AI, which is supposed to, you know, completely reinvent the workplace. But just about a month ago, the Productivity Commission actually said that our productivity had decreased, you know, in the last year by, by a small amount, but nevertheless decreased with people working longer hours, ha- supposedly having access to new technology that helps everything and it becomes more digitized. What's going wrong? Well, I think this whole focus on productivity is not necessarily, um, um, you know, yes, it's important, but it's not everything. You know, I actually think, and this ties back into the environment as well, that there is going to, it's going to be forced on us. There's going to be a realignment around, um, you know, this relentless focus on driving productivity, share price, et cetera, is going to change. And yeah, the, the, what's going to happen with the climate and the environment is going to is going to be part of that. But also, people and the newer generations coming in uh, are simply not going to put up with that. You know, if you look at people that are now joining the workforce, uh, yes, you want to get well paid and fairly paid, but you also want to work for organisations that have a very strong sense of purpose. Um, and if they don't, you will go to one that does. You know, and again, um, that, that good on that generation for 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 thinking and and working that you know operating that way and if you know if, if people are not prepared to put up with if you know if you if the if if the business is poorly led or there's unrealistic expectations people will leave and strongly encourage them to do that yeah yeah and you know they'll, they'll vote with their feet and 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 good people will always find other options they, and that's the thing you know and it's interesting again obviously the environment is what i'm passionate about but you know, whatever it is, if, if a company has a clear purpose and then it's operating not, you know, it's operating at odds with that or it's not um, uh, it's not being transparent around what it's doing, th- those good people see that and they will leave. And uh, if anything, good leaders recognize that if you want to retain your best people, then you've got to be strong mm. around your purpose. You've got to have a good purpose. You've got to live that purpose. Um, and you've got to be actively doing things that um, – you know, support things like the environment, support um, that sense of equality in Australia and things. So I think it's quite exciting, actually, looking mm. forward, you know, much more than probably when you and I were starting off, Graham. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and hopefully that means that they're measuring other important things. Like I did a webinar with your, uh, with your team, which was how, 
how to lead mentally healthy and safe hybrid teams. Mm. And I shared there, uh, you know, how you can calculate some of the cost of this disengagement. And one of the things, the questions that we asked on the webinar was, are you measuring the cost of absenteeism? Mm. And the majority weren't. No, the majority uh-huh. knows. And yeah. that, that is significant. But what is even more significant is that presenteeism, where people aren't fully engaged, aren't fully productive, that's estimated to be between three or four times higher than absenteeism. Mm. That same mental stress contributes to turnover, employee turnover, mm. which also is expensive as well. Uh, you know, do you see that those sort of measures will be part of the executive suite, part of the executive agenda to measure the energy, the mood, the commitment on a real-time basis? Yeah, definitely. And they have to be. And if you think about when I talked about, you know, um, inspiring leaders, they are all over this stuff. You know what I mean? Um, and they consistently build great teams, have good people around them, and they are the kind of leaders that are then they're those kind of leaders that guide and support and advise as opposed to the follow me over the barricades kind of stuff. And they are the kind of people that you want to be um, having in your community, you want to work for, um, because, you know, they've, they're very tuned into all this. Um, and they're, they're, um, it's motivating, you know, you, to be in those environments. You know, you do your good work. You, it's motivating to be around people that, that support you and care for you. And, um, are there for you. So good leaders understand all that. They know how to create those kind of cultures. And what comes from that is then performance. And I know you'll, you'll, you'll agree with this. And I'm very st- strongly um, believe in this, that by, by then giving people those account, the, the accountability, you give the people the guide rails that, to create the culture. Um, you give them the, the sort of the, the guide rails within which to operate. Then you give them the space and the accountability to actually perform and you hold them accountable to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a uh, a great way to run a business and good leaders consistently do this. And one of the real privileges of, of this show is speaking to amazing leaders who do champion the culture of change and a culture of um, care and, and, and high performance and, you know, setting ambitious targets. But first and foremost, I believe, and I, I'm sure you do as well, is the culture, how we treat each other. That's the foundation that allows people to thrive. And, uh, you know, if I just think of, one person that I interviewed who was way ahead of the curve on this was Pat Greer. He was a former CEO of Ramsey Healthcare. And I, you know, worked with Ramsey over 20 years ago, helping them to establish what they came to call the Ramsey Way. And their vision was people caring for people. And one of the first things that Pat did was to really recognize they were in big trouble financially. And, you know, the banks were knocking at the door and all this sort of thing. But in a, in a, in a conference uh, they put together, it was at Uluru at the time, he put forward this vision that we want to be recognised by our peers as being the best hospital operator in Australia. And so that was the vision that he got everyone to sort of buy into. But how he made it happen was really going around talking to the CEOs, the directors of nursing, the finance directors in each of the hospitals and say, well, you know, this is your hospital. You know your community best. You know your doctor's best. You know your family's best. What are you going to do to make it you the best hospital deliverer and, and operator in this region and what have you? But then he would say to them, okay, which, what do you want to choose to focus on? 
that's yours. <laughs> I haven't got yeah. time to do it. You know, you own it, you run with it, you do all that sort of thing. And it was remarkable. The time that, um, you know, Pat was the CEO, you know, there was a total return on the stock market during that period. It was about 15 years, the 460-odd percent. Mm. And Ramsey delivered over 5,000% over that same period. Mm. And, um, you know, it was a graphic illustration to me that their um, vision, which is people caring for people, does produce great results as well. Yeah. No, it's a great example. And I think, um, you know, there are lots of good examples. They're often in businesses, to be honest with you, that you've never heard of before. Um, mm. And I think often some of the best leaders are in those kind of um, organizations. And I think particularly when you, you, you get to a certain point in your career where you've got a lot of good experience, those kind of environment, those kind of companies are really good ones to join and you can have a big impact. Yeah. Can you think of an example that you can talk through of an inspiring leader that you know brought everyone on board, brought them with him or her? Uh, yes, I, th- I mean there's lots. Um, one I like a lot is over in the US, um, uh, Satya Nadella. So he runs Microsoft. So he took over Microsoft at a time when uh, it was performing badly. Um, culturally, they were you know, all over the shop. Really, um, he uh, there's a very good book that you would know around um, positive mindset. Um, so he read by Carol um, Dweck. He read he read that book, and then he's actually written a very interesting book about how he transitioned, um, transformed the business. But he started with the culture. Um, you know, people some people have been at Microsoft a long time, had to go, all those kind of difficult decisions. And then once the culture was strong, everything else has flowed. And if you look at then the, the performance of Microsoft subsequently, it's been exceptional. But it all again all came back to the culture, just like you were saying, and. Uh, um, Making sure everybody's on the bus, you know. That is a, a great example. And his his book I have here is Hit Refresh. Yeah, that's and, yeah. and and it was interesting, and there was a growth mindset, but I also saw on YouTube the speech he made in when he was just announced as CEO. And what he talked about, he really, you know, tapped into purpose. And he talked about how technology had helped his children who had learning difficulties. That's right. You know, yeah. to read and to comprehend stuff. Yeah. And then he threw out the challenge that, um, that uh, you know, what can you use Microsoft's uh, capability for to solve problems you're passionate about? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so put the challenge out there to, to, to the people there. And, and I've spoken to, you know, Steve Worrell, the Australian Managing Director for, for Microsoft on this show, and he just sort of recounted how quickly it happened, how quickly yeah. it was it, like it was in six months, it was like a different organization, which yeah. is amazing for an organization that size. But, but, th- but that is that is quite common. You know, you can think that um, if you're in an organization, I'm sure everybody's been in an organization that has a poor culture or it's poorly led, and you can think it's never ending, but with the right leadership, um, and and focus and communication, you can turn that around very, very quickly. Um, yeah, with lots and lots of examples, and and to be part of that, often a, a, a career highlights for many people. You know, you don't often get someone that you've reported to that is like that. And mm. uh, if you can have that once or twice in your career, you're very lucky, I think. Mm. Well, Steve Rowell recounted the um, time he had a conversation with Satya, and he, and he said that um, he was really passionate about corporate mental health, and he set up the Corporate Mental Health Alliance, 
But before he did, he had a chat with um, Satya and just said, look, I don't see this bringing any money to to uh, Microsoft. Are you okay with me doing this? And he said, why are you asking? <laughs> just, you know, just make it happen. Like, and like you did, you know, you identified something you were passionate about and had the freedom to actually pursue it. But yeah. it is... Um, it is very invigorating and, and energizing, quite frankly. It is. And then other people get energized by it because they see it happening. And then they come up with ideas and it, it drives then a culture of that kind of, you know, it's, it's a, it's a safe environment to come up with ideas and to drive things. And, you know, some will succeed, some won't. That's fine, you know, but at least the ideas are happening. And, um, those are, those businesses will thrive, you know, and, uh, I, it's interesting when I relate it to talking to, to people that are looking for a move, often, companies try and put people in a box, you know, do you have the same sector experience? They'll go into your background. Do you have all the same technical skills? And that's very frustrating for people because it's, it's irrelevant, but it, but what it does show, and I talk to people about, see that as a, um, as like a, a bit of a red light that this business is probably not good enough for you. If that's the way they're thinking, they, they've got a closed mindset, you know, that they're not good enough for you. So don't worry about it. Just move on. There's a whole bunch of companies out there that do not think like that. And not led like by, like by that way, and that's where you need to be focused. Yes, I remember lamenting that that trend when I was in recruiting. You know, going back many years, and you know, they'd say, "Oh, they've got to have you know five years of pharmaceutical experience because our our, our business is really different." You know, <laughs> we're changing, <laughs> we're changing really quickly. It's really competitive, and you can't find good people. It's really different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there are some companies still operating that way. Can you believe it? And uh, <laughs> if it, it, and they tend to be ones that are operating a bit like rabbit in the headlights. They're just going from one crisis to another, and they're trying to just deal with those rather than being on the front foot. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to watch. I know that you've um, been inspired by a number of books. We just talked about Ikigai and, and its uh, impact on you. Are there one or two other books that you found really, really helpful for guiding your business? Uh, well, I really like to hit refresh that you just spoke about. Um, so it's one of my go-tos. I really, there's a really good book about Abraham Lincoln that, um, uh, I've got the name of the lady now. Um, fantastic talking about his, his, basically it's his life and what he did and how he did it. And I've read that a couple of times. Interestingly, I was reading that at the time when, you know, all the, the drama was going on in the US at the, um, the Capitol building and stuff. And, uh, very interesting just looking at how Abraham Lincoln, um, team of rivals. That's right. Um, Abraham Lincoln, team of rivals and, and how he brought this coalition of people around him that basically took America through, um, you know, very dramatic time in their history and, and how he got that group to work, um, together. And, uh, it's, it's fabulous actually. Um, so that's another one. Um, they're probably a couple of my, my main ones actually. Yeah. And I think that Abraham Lincoln, book you mentioned was made into a movie as well with um, Daniel Day-Lewis playing okay. playing Lincoln. And it is an extraordinary story how how just how pragmatic he had to be to move yeah. forward. And, yeah. you know, he had to bargain and um, influence and, and, and bring his perceived enemies close to him. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because they were all rivals for the presidency. And uh, I think the other thing from that is just his resilience. And if you look at, you know, uh, I think any great leader in whatever field they're in, they they demonstrate that resilience. And I know you're big on mental resilience. That's obviously very important. And I think just resilience generally in terms of just 
never giving up, always putting one foot in front of the other. And I think with my business, that's one of the things I've always tried to do is no matter what, is just to keep on going and keep on. Um, if I do that, I know things will work out okay. And uh, I look for that in people I bring into my business. I look for that when I'm running an assignment for one of our clients. It's, um, I think it's the most important, one of the most important, if not the most important. I remember um, hearing Jerry Seifel being interviewed and he said, yeah, lots of young comedians ask him, what's his secret? How do, how do they thrive? How do they get good jokes? And his advice was just do the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. And, <laughs> and doing the work in his his world was writing one joke a day. Yeah. No matter what, every day. But, but yeah, do uh, how fantastic. Do the work. It's like, you know, you see someone like Roger Federer and he wins all these tournaments. And I'm sure a couple of weeks later he's out there on the court, nobody watching, just practicing his backhand or something. You know, he's just doing the work. He's just it's that basic stuff, isn't it? That you just you have to do day in, day out. It's been a real pleasure catching up, Stephen, and I've really loved the topics we've talked about, the the new leadership that's required to thrive in this environment. I always end by asking you to reflect back when you're 18 and and, and knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? You know, since I spoke at a school recently and, and I, I ended up with the same, you know, ended on the same message, you know, uh, it was a group of um, year 12 students. And I think, you know, my advice to them, and it's exactly what I would say to myself, and that's why I think I said, I talked about it was, yeah, put the jacket on. You're really good. Back yourself. Everything will work out. Mm, mm. And that's a pretty consistent message, which I think is fantastic. You know, most people talk about on this show often talk about, you know, stressing too much and, you know, backing themselves and just doing those things. And Amy Edmondson gave a really interesting twist on that as well. She said, you know, I've had a fair bit of stress in my life and worry about, whether I'm going to succeed or not succeed. I wish I just told myself, what do I need to learn right now to thrive in this moment? And uh, I love that, mm-hmm. you know, going back to the learning zone, being in the learning zone to, you know, to help adapt to new situations. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and then, you know, you're going to have failures, you're going to have successes. They're all part of it, aren't they? They're all part of that learning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, uh, Stephen. It's been wonderful having you on the show. Pleasure, Grant. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you've learned some practical tips that you can try with your team. If you've enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing more details about our simple, scalable WeCare365 mental health training programs, please visit us at wecare365.com.au. We strive to make these programs easily accessible, practical, and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a caring CEO you would like to see interviewed, please email us at support at wecare365.com.au. Thanks once again for joining us.